What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. This is Squawk Pod. I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. Today on our podcast, a surprise media shakeup. AT&T's deal to merge Warner Media with Discovery. This is a transformative deal in the media world. The question now, of course, is they can take on effectively the likes of Disney and Netflix. What this merger means from Wall Street to Hollywood. Industry watcher Rich Greenfield on what the shareholders and the binge watchers want. They want to see this feel and look like Disney, where the only thing that matters is streaming and all of the energy is going towards streaming. If they can pull it off, that is. The creative and the, I don't know, it doesn't always, <laughs> it, it doesn't always <laughs> go together. It's hard. That big news, plus it's finally time. The reign of the mask may be over, says Dr. Scott Gottlieb. There really isn't a lot of value in a fully vaccinated person wearing a mask in any circumstance, unless they want to, or they're at high risk because of a pre-existing condition. It's Monday, May 17th, 2021. Squawk Pod begins right now. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Squawk Box here on CNBC. I'm Becky Quick, along with Joe Kernan and Andrew Ross Sorkin. And wow, it was a week last week. First up today on the podcast, a mega media deal. AT&T announcing it is merging its Warner Media Group with Discovery Networks, combining content like Wonder Woman, CNN, and Carrie Bradshaw with 90 Day Fiancé and my pandemic favorite, Main Cabin Masters from the DIY Network. One of Hollywood's biggest studios joining forces with a cable stalwart that has a successful streaming offering with Discovery+. Plus. The deal would create an entirely new business, separate from AT&T, that could be worth as much as $150 billion. So if approved by regulators, this essentially reverses AT&T's big plan to combine content creation and the distribution, cable, satellite, in one giant company. It was another Monday morning, not quite five years ago. Good morning, a mega media merger. AT&T's bid to buy Time Warner. It's Monday, October 24th already, 2016. When AT&T announced its $85 billion combination with Time Warner, on Squawk Box. Here's former AT&T CEO Randall Stevenson in 2016. This is one where uh, the, the nature of this deal is unique from anything that we've done before in that it's a vertical integration. It's a, it's a big merger, but it's a vertical integration. There are no competitors being taken out of the marketplace. We compete nowhere. We're not talking about changing how the content is made available to other people or other customers or other distributors. This is a pure vertical integration. A few players in all of this. Today's announcement comes from Stevenson's successor, John Stanky, CEO since last summer, who just recently sold off a majority stake in another media asset of AT&T, DirecTV. This new company will be run by current Discovery president and CEO David Zaslav, who has made a big bet on streaming. He oversaw the launch of Discovery Plus, which has about 15 million subscribers pouring in for on-demand Food Network and on-demand HGTV, combining that with the 20 million HBO Max subscribers. And you can bet Zaslav, a 
former NBC executive as well, will be leading the charge for this new company to compete against streaming giants, Netflix, Disney+. Plus. One more name to keep in mind, Discovery's largest individual shareholder is cable mogul John Malone, the billionaire head of Liberty Media. The news of AT&T and Discovery's deal broke during our TV broadcast this morning. Here's what that sounded like. Is it happening? Do we know this? Are we ready to go? This is for real. No, this is for real. I'm just reading the release right now. What's going to happen here is a reverse Morris trust transaction where AT&T would receive $43 billion, subject to adjustment, they say, in a combination of cash, debt securities, and Warner Media's retention of certain debt. And AT&T shareholders would receive stock representing 71% of this new company. Discovery shareholders would own 29% of the new companies. They say the boards of uh, board of directors of both AT&T and Discovery have approved this transaction. So that is a very similar deal to what had been done with um, with DirecTV and the way they had spun that off as well. Um, but let's talk a little bit more about this. Under the terms of the agreement, they say they'd be bringing together the strong leadership of the, ter- of the teams, content creator, high quality. Uh, forming a new company that they say will have significant scale and investment resources. They say projected 2023 revenue of about $52 billion, adjusted EBITDA of about $14 billion, and what they call an industry-leading free cash flow conversion rate of about 60%. They talk about what they are saying would be $3 billion in expected cost synergies annually for the new company to increase its investment in content and digital innovation. And remember, that's part of the big deal here. How much can you continue to pour in? How much more could you pour in uh, to creating content for the direct-to-consumer business? Um, AT&T, they say this is an opportunity for them to unlock value for their media assets. Just, sorry, just reading through. They were probably up all night because as of, the, as of last well, check, they said there's no guarantee this is going to be done. Could be done. AT&T's Go board had, had, had approved it last night uh, in, in advance. One, one major point, though, that I think is crucial for those in the, in the marketplace right now, uh, this deal does not require a vote by AT&T shareholders. And effectively, hmm. uh, it Agreements are already in place with Malone uh, and with Advance to vote in favor of the transaction, which means that this is basically a locked deal. So I know that there was lots of questions uh, about whether uh, another suitor could come in. Um, That makes it very, very difficult, if not impossible, uh, for that to take place. One of the other things that's happened here is that the governance structure has shifted uh, a bit here uh, so that there's now one share, one vote. Uh, Discovery before had... um, uh, what might be considered a complex uh, a governance structure that gave Malone uh, and the folks from uh, Newhouse uh, more, you know, more more voting. This now moves that to uh, to one share, one vote, which again is something that I think that the the market is going to like uh, more broadly. Uh, seven board members uh, for AT and T, six board members uh, for Discovery. David Zaslav running the show. Well, we're going to talk to these guys, hopefully. Um and get more clarity. Who's in, who's out, who stays? That's probably not all decided. We may not get that today. I don't think you'll get any decision on just how they, what they do with the combined assets in terms of the direct-to-consumer, how they bundle those, how they put those together. That might take them a little bit of time to work out. But you've got to remember, there are a lot of assets Discovery has internationally, too, to kind of bring to the table with this. And, and I think that'll be interesting how they sort that all out. This is a, a transformative deal in the media world. The question now, of course, is uh, whether... By merging these two companies together, uh, they can take on effectively 
the likes of Disney and Netflix by putting all of this content uh, together, whether they have enough of it. Uh, that was the big question for, uh, for Warner Media. In fact, the biggest sort of conundrum that HBO Max faced was given the, the dividend uh, and debt load that AT&T took on, just how much money you, you needed to continue to fund uh, that business. Uh, by combining these businesses, you're going to get the cash flow of uh, the linear businesses around the world and hopefully use that cash flow plus plus to then fund this uh, this competitive streaming business. Well, Stanky but, but Stanky was just on. Stanky was just on and we kept asking him, are yeah, you sure? A couple weeks ago. You sure you're up to the task of? I mean, what's, what, what did Netflix say they were going to spend on con, uh, content? Seventeen billion dollars a year. Seventeen, or Seventeen billion dollars. Seventeen John, billion dollars. Collectively, he didn't, he didn't look like twenty-three this. billion. And then all the criticism year after year about, you know, why don't you do it the way Verizon is doing? You know, why don't you concentrate on your bread and butter? But that was Randall's whole deal. That now both are done. Both of Randall's deals are are now kind of unwound. The Directv deal. It's kind of. Uh, going back on on both of those, but it would make AT&T much simpler, and it had a lot of debt. I, I didn't realize it was the most debt of any non-financial company. Yep. Look, they weren't going to be able to spend the, con- the money on the content because they have to build out 5G, they have to pay pay to buy more spectrum, and they have to pay to finance the dividend, which is very important for AT&T shareholders and for Verizon shareholders. If you were somebody who was a longtime holder there, you need that dividend to keep coming in. And if you look at the stock price, they were never going to get credit for that. You know, it, it, maybe they potentially still can can take some of the upside of this without. You know, if they weren't going to spend the money on these things, it was going to be poorly. It would be poorly run companies. They wouldn't win. Too much to spend money on. Oh, for days. sure. The, yeah. the, the, the point though that I was going to make, unfortunately, what I was going to say is, you know, I adore Randall Stevenson. But when you look at the deal making that took place during that time and what might be described as the value destruction, it, it's really quite sad. If you think about originally the AT&T deal with T-Mobile, that ultimately led to actually T-Mobile being more competitive because they ended up paying that breakup fee, having to give over Spectrum. That obviously led, led, led to the, the later deal, the DirecTV deal. Um, even though it's structured in a way where they capture upside, I think they've, they've already written it down by tens of billions of dollars. And even if you describe as this deal on a, on a valuation basis as a push for, for, time, for, for AT&T, the amount of time and energy and, and resources and focus over the last three years that's gone into uh, looking in that direction as opposed to necessarily looking in the direction of whatever you would have otherwise done, I think it, it starts to raise questions about, about all, of the, all of those strategic moves, um, given, given the value destruction that took place. Well, it was, you know, John, when he was on, said it, it, the dividend yield was very rich. It's still 6.4%. And remember what he said? I, I, he wants to make the stock go up so the yeah. dividend yield is not nearly as high. <laughs> My first priority is to get the stock price up so the dividends not the yield is not 6.9 percent. And, uh, you know, that's what I'd like to do to fix the problem. <laughs> so uh, that's what this management team is focused on. And if we keep executing in the consistent fashion we are now, that problem takes care of itself with math. How many years are you talking about uh, it, it would have been necessary to really, I don't know, content so difficult. And I just I go back to, to when General Electric was trying to run NBC and they'd you know, they'd hear about what are you spending on? What's the movie about? And like these guys at GE were like, why? You know, the creative and the I don't know. It doesn't always it, it doesn't always <laughs> go together. 
that well. And it was going to be, it's, it's, it's hard. Yeah. I mean, Zaslav is good. More is, of an is, art, is, not a science, right? Those, yeah. Remember, Verizon just, wound, just spun off Yahoo and AOL, too. So yeah. both of the big phone companies are going to be looking more like communications companies um, in a different different taxes. It just seems like every one of these deals, every time you hear a media deal, it's about getting bigger or getting smaller, spending them back off. Everything related back to Time Warner AOL with both of those deals. Is it, like HBO is now one of many too, isn't it? I mean, HBO used to, I don't know, I used to think of it as, man, HBO is it for content. Oh, and, and, and now it just kind of seems, you know, you got Netflix and then you got all these other places. They're all making great content. And Actually, that new show Hacks is pretty good. Did you see what? Did you guys watch any of Hacks yet? On the, on the second episode, she's like this really smart it. person. She turns on Squawk Box when she gets up in the morning. It's like the Weather Channel, and she switches the no channel way. to Squawk Box. Yeah, I was. Well, I was she, happy. Must be, she must be smart. I was really happy because it was me. <laughs> it was me and Sharon. Epperson. It was great. It's like yeah. But uh, you know who so this I is like, good for? Is Zaslav. Yeah. Oh yeah, but it's good for him. But you know, it, it, unless you're the dog chasing the bus and you catch the bus and you finally got it that's a <laughs> I, david is no so but smart i think they have a better so, shot that so up they to have the better, this, yeah i think they so have too. a much better shot now and part of the issue and by the way they, they both in their own way had their own challenges right because you know hbo had right. this sort of tenfold content but didn't necessarily have the other content that keeps you there and I would argue that Zaz had a lot of the content that would keep you there, but he didn't always have the tentpole content. And when you put that together, potentially, and it depends how they bundle this, I think there's going to be a big question about the bundling. Do they actually put Discovery Plus and HBO Max together as one service? If they do, by the way, that'll be at a lesser fee than the combined service. They're already, you know, HBO Max already is at running at fourteen ninety nine, which Max is the most fourteen ninety nine uh, in the yeah. business, right? Or are they separate? Uh, similar to what you see Disney doing right now with Disney Plus on one side, Hulu on another side, and, you know, uh, the ESPN Plus business on the other. But somehow you bundle all of those, so you, you get them together. I think there's going to be a lot of questions about how you execute that. That, to me, is the big risk here. Zaslav told us, I think, in December that he thought there'd only be probably two or three big winners in the streaming wars. There are seven services that are doing scripted ser series and scripted movies. And they've done a great job educating people about how to pay for content, how to move it on all platforms. So we hit the market in January. We're one of one. When people watch TV, 40% of what they watch is scripted series and scripted movies. We're everything else. Now, we might not have the big red carpets, but 90 Day Fiance is the number one show on television. So, you know, looking at that, if there's seven or eight entries out there, we knew for a long time that this was a position where Discovery was probably either going to have to buy somebody or get bought, or bought. to get merged in, in, into some of the bigger words. There he right. is in the driver's seat. Don't underestimate Zaslav. Damn. I want to bring in Lightshed Partners co-founder and media watcher Rich Greenfield right now. Rich, just your, your, your quick takeaways uh, when you heard that this deal was in the offing. Well, first shock, uh, more than anything else, you know, this is not something that anyone was talking about or anticipating. I mean, there's no doubt that discovery was subscale. I mean, I think that had been talked about for quite some time. 
but I don't think anyone would have expected that a discovery effectively is consuming all of Warner Media. Uh, I don't think it's shocking that AT&T wants to basically spin out Warner Media. We've talked for a long time that vertical integration has never created value in this sector. So that's not a surprise. I think it's the merger partner that sort of is the big surprise here that, you know, David Zaslav effectively has conquered the throne and now runs all of Warner Media. No one had that on their bingo card. So here's the question. I, I, I'm with you. I think it's genius for 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 discovery. The, and and I, I think for, for AT&T, spinning it off makes sense. The question is, are these the right merger partners? Would you bet on this group to make it work, especially when you start to think about the rest of the competitive landscape? Well, look, this is actually, I mean, there's going to be a lot written today about mega deal and huge. Just step back. This is essentially taking the old Time Warner that you and I talked about and knew really well. I mean, I still remember when, you know, when you were interviewing um, all of these executives at your deal book conference and whatever, like back in the Time Warner days. And you're injecting a larger, you know, a, another small cable network group in Discovery into that. Now, do they own a lot of their programming? Sure. They own a lot of unscripted reality programming. But this is not massively transformational. We had argued for a merger of Warner Media and NBC Universal. That would have been really transformational. Two studios, the theme park business, which has a lot of the Warner franchises like Harry Potter merging in with Warner Media. That would have been a, a mega transformational landscape deal. This is adding essentially unscripted content heft and cash flow to Warner Media. Probably the most important aspect of this deal is it's no longer part of a telco. Like you now have a management team that doesn't have to answer to the telco powers. You don't have the dividend to worry about. So this is definitely positive for Warner Media. This frees them of that structure. But I don't think this is as transformational as the alternatives might have been. I just can't believe Brian Roberts is allowing this to happen and isn't trying to stop this and trying to buy Warner Media now. I think the big question all of your viewers need to be thinking about, Andrew, is how does this transformation, what happens to the talent? Because a lot of talent, you know, sort of filtered into to, um, WarnerMedia over the course of the past couple of years, really the last 18 months since Jason Kylar took over. How is this new structure and new team as you figure out who comes and who goes, how do they keep that momentum going? Um, that's probably not the easiest thing to do. There's been a lot of kind of deal waiting for executives throughout Warner Media over the last five years. So, Rich, why, why do you think Zaslav won out here? Why, why do you think this was a more attractive deal and, and partnership? Do you think that there would have been problems with trying to maintain a, a majority control if they had done this deal with Comcast? What, what, what do you think happened? Well, there's no doubt you would have had to, if you did a deal with Comcast, you would have had to do a double reverse Morris Trust and East sort of divested control. That meant, you know, Comcast would have had to divest control and AT&T would have had to have divested control. Obviously, this transaction gives AT&T shareholders, not AT&T, but AT&T shareholders effectively have control, although that's a little strange, right? You've got telco shareholders owning what is now essentially a streaming media company or a media company with lots of cable network, legacy cable networks, and the plan to be a streaming media company. Anywhere. So that's sort of a weird asset in terms of the shareholder base. But look, I think they won out. My guess is the view that Viacom was probably a sort of controlled company. Discovery was not. 
Um, although obviously Malone played a, a large role, I think, in, in kind of willing this deal and also making sure that, you know, Zaslav and, and his team were in charge of the combined entity. I don't know, Becky. It's a great question. Like, what was what was the reason for not running an auction process here? I don't know that. I mean, obviously, this gets cash quickly. And, you know, I mean, you, you lay off a lot of debt, 43 billion. I think I was reading this morning. Yep. You're laying off a 43. lot of debt. You're laying off a lot of debt and doing it, you know, very quickly. Obviously, no shareholder approval. This doesn't seem to have any regulatory approval. A Comcast deal would have had regulatory right. approval that would have been needed. This is probably a pretty quick way to generate cash. But, you know, maybe it's that simple. This was the quickest way to generate a lot of cash for AT&T. Right. And they sort of acknowledged, once again, that vertical integration is a complete failure. I think the real question now for discovery, now with the, the larger debt balance, a lot of cash flow, free cash flow. But the question is going to be, how aggressively? Are, is this a subgrowth story? Like, are they going to gun it now? Combine Discovery Plus. I assume Discovery Plus goes away. You build one streaming service. Hopefully, you clean up this HBO, HBO Max confusion, and you create one global streaming company that is really positioned to own and control its future. That's what I think shareholders will want. They, they want to see this feel and look like Disney, where the only thing that matters is streaming and all of the energy is going towards streaming. If this is, hey, let's maintain our legacy right. cable networks and try to keep the profitability, investors are going to vomit. Okay. Rich, great to see you this morning. Going to have a lot more to talk thanks about to with you. Me, but, uh, thanks for your time. Next on Squawk Pod, it's a whole new vaccinated world that might look a lot like the old one former FDA commissioner, Dr. Scott Gottlieb. By June, nobody was going to be wearing masks. The bottom line is I don't think these mask mandates could have survived another week or two. Prevalence is collapsing. The positivity rate's 1.9%. The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. This is Squawk Pod. Here's Andrew Ross Sorkin. The CDC's updated mask guidance prompting some companies to review their own policies, including Walmart, Costco and Trader Joe's, as well as Starbucks, which says they will no longer require masks in stores for fully vaccinated customers. Joining us right now is Dr. Scott Gottlieb. He's the former FDA commissioner, of course, a CNBC contributor. He serves on the boards of Pfizer and Illumina. His latest op-ed in The Wall Street Journal this morning saying that the updated guidelines may actually encourage more Americans to get vaccinated. Uh, doctor, good morning to you. So much, so many questions over the weekend about this decision uh, and really how businesses are responding. But I just want to take on your, your op-ed because when people talk about the quote-unquote science, I think there's two different kinds of sciences here. There's the science of, of, of getting infected and then there's the behavioral science of what these kinds of rules and decisions do to getting people to actually uh, take the vaccine. How much do you think that the decision was uh, propelled by science versus behavioral science? Look, I think the, the decision was propelled entirely by the CDC's reading of the science. And what they found and what they said is that people who've been vaccinated are far less likely to contract the virus and far less likely to transmit the virus. Remember, this has been an open question, even though we've all assumed 
that the vaccines dramatically reduce your risk of transmitting the virus or becoming asymptomatically infected. Now CDC has data demonstrating that. And based on that data, they came to a conclusion that there really isn't a lot of value in a, va- a fully vaccinated person wearing a mask in any circumstance, unless they want to right. or they're at high risk because of a pre-existing condition. And that's what that's the decision they made. Now, what people um, are having misgivings about are the policy accommodations being made as a result of that scientific judgment, which is that many states and businesses are now lifting mask mandates. The bottom line is I don't think these mask mandates could have survived another week or two. Prevalence is collapsing. The positivity rate's 1.9 percent. So the worst thing you could say is maybe we could have eked out another week or two of these mask ordinances before we really had to lift them in a wholesale fashion because people would have just disobeyed them. Um, so I don't, I don't know that that's really um, a fair criticism of the CDC at this point. So, but here is the question. Um, are people who are unvaccinated going to walk into stores and not wear masks? And at the same time, I'd ask you for children. I took my, my kids, we went shopping this weekend. Uh, they're wearing masks, uh, but by the way, they're not wearing N95 masks. And so if there's somebody in, in that shop uh, who should be wearing a mask who isn't, they're not protected. H- how do you actually change, how should everybody change their behavior or not as a function of this? Look, I think we're getting to a phase right now, and this was inevitable, where we're going to need to judge our individual risks. Some people are going to choose to go unvaccinated. I think that's imprudent. Um, some people are going to be vaccinated but still believe that they're at some risk, perhaps because they have a pre-existing medical condition. And they might choose to wear a mask in certain higher-risk settings like public transport or a crowded store. I think that should be encouraged. I think it should be supported. People are going to have to make individual choices about their risk. People who are going to go maskless now are going to go, we're going to go maskless anyway um, post when these mandates lifted and, and still choose not to get vaccinated. I think there will be people on the margin, though, that now having seen that, you know, we're lifting these mask mandates for people who are vaccinated are going to be encouraged to now go out and get a vaccine. I don't think it's going to be 10 percent, but I think we might pick up another two to five percent of people. I think also the message that vaccines reduce transmission, they substantially reduce your likelihood of transmitting the virus. I think that's going to incentivize certain people to go out and get a vaccine because a lot of people don't believe they're at personal risk from coronavirus and perhaps they're not. They're young, they're healthy, but they do want to protect those around them. And so I think that's a strong message. I do think CDC should have hit that message more powerfully. If that was the basis for their decision, which is what they said it was the case, they should have been out front a little bit more with that, because I do think that there are people who will be incentivized to get vaccinated for that purpose. So, Scott, do you support Walmart's decision, Starbucks's decision effectively to to remove the mask mandate and effectively to say it's an honor system? And, And again, I'd ask you for your own family, children and the like who have not been vaccinated. Are you going to have them going in these stores now? Look, I think I come back to what I said. I think we need to judge our own individual circumstances. You know, I would if I was in a uh, congregate setting with a lot of mixed um, people who I didn't know whether they were or were not vaccinated, I probably would keep a mask on my kids. I was in a grocery store um, just yesterday. Everyone was masked inside the grocery store, including me and including my children. But I probably would keep a mask on my kids a little bit longer, another week or two. I think prevalence is really collapsing around the country. And we're going to be at a point where there's very little infection and the individual risk to a person is low if, if you're dealing with an otherwise immunocompetent person. But, you know, the bottom line is that the risk is really collapsing all over the country. We weren't going to be able to keep these mask ordinances in place much longer. We've been at this 16 months. So I think the worst you can say is maybe CDC was a week or two early with this. But I don't think that we're going to pay a price for that. You said your kids would still be wearing masks inside. Are you still wearing masks if you go to a store or something? 
Well, I was wearing a mask yesterday, even though I'm fully vaccinated because I was with my children. So I wanted to show solidarity with my kids. You know, um, I think we're at a point right now, culturally, where people accept masks. You're not going to be objectified. There was a great study done years ago that showed that if you wore a mask in an airport, people stayed further from you. So the distance that people would creep between you and themselves was further when you had a mask on. I don't think that's the case anymore. I think now people, if someone's wearing a mask, are not going to think you're necessarily odd or sick. No. And that's the thing. I feel so bad. You know, I have two kids who are young enough that they don't qualify for the vaccines. They're not old old enough for that at this point. And we're going to make them, just the two of them, wear a mask while the rest of us run around without one. I mean, that's the hardest thing to ask them to sacrifice when we're not. And it's been hard enough to ask them to give up so many things to this point. I mean, that's the quandary that this kind of puts us in. But you know what? By June, nobody was going to be wearing masks. By June, I think the prevalence is going yeah, to be sufficiently and, and, low in this country. We're just not going to be concerned too. about it. Things are improving quickly. So hopefully they'll continue on that trajectory. Yeah. I don't think this is going to change that outcome. OK, Dr. Scott Gottlieb, always great to see you. Help, uh, thank you for helping us do this on Monday morning. Appreciate it. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. That's Squawk Pod for today. Thanks for listening. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Tune in weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 Eastern. Subscribe to Squawk Pod on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google, wherever you listen. We'll meet you back here tomorrow. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture-proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.